0: amen. Well, it is good to be here tonight. We were at the Men's Summit last night, like Pat mentioned, and um, we man camp, we call it. Um, It was good to be here. 400 guys worshiping the Lord, loving Jesus, getting to know one another. But like Pat, I'll be honest, it's good to be back here with the church. Uh, I'm going to talk about a subject that is pretty, um, I don't know, maybe almost uh, scary, holiness. right? When we talk about holiness, this is a big deal. God said to his people, be holy, for I am holy. Now, I have a feeling he was pretty serious about that. Okay, so how are we doing as a church? How are we doing as holiness? So what I thought I'd do is I would give you a little journey through the history of the church just to kind of give us a little scorecard on how we're doing in terms of holiness. You know, you look at the early church, you read about the New Testament, and here's some things that were going on. Paul had to address these in the church. There's one guy in the church who's actually sleeping with his stepmother, right? And nobody in the church wants to do anything about it. They actually seem to be okay with it. Uh, That very same church, Paul has to write to some of the people, say, hey, don't show up early and get drunk on the communion wine, right? These are the kinds of things that were going on. Idolatry, gossiping, fights, tension, factions, lust, immorality. That was the early church. Steve, well, it must have gotten better after that. Oh, yeah, we had the Crusades. Uh, in, in the 16th century, this happened. Uh, a group of, of really godly men and women decided, you know, these, these, these theologians said, it'd be great if we baptized people who profess their faith in Christ rather than infants. Kind of believers' baptism. And this is the precursor to what we practice today here, uh, baptism of believers. And, well, this was a real big deal for some people. A church council got together and said, what are we going to do about this heresy? The answer? Kill them. And in this uh, cruel twist of irony and very intentional, all the people who practiced baptism were drowned. This is the church, right? It doesn't look very pretty at times. We don't really have holiness mastered. So when Scottsdale Bible Church declared earlier this year that we're going to spend an entire year studying the subject of grace, that we wanted to embrace grace as a church, you can understand there were some people who might have been a little anxious about this. Well, wait, wait, wait. What about truth? What, what about obedience? What about holiness? What the church really needs is, is not all this grace, not so much grace. What we really need to talk about is holiness, obedience. Well, that's what we're going to do today. We're going to be wrapping up season three, t- Grace and the Church, and talking about holiness. Now, Grace and the Church has been a little more inward focus. Right, we've been talking about some family business, things like forgiving one another, practicing kindness, right, not having a critical spirit, having unity within the church. It, it's, been, it's been an internal thing because next week, or actually in two weeks, we're going to be taking grace out of the church into our community. We're starting season four, Grace and Your Neighbor. We want to unleash God's grace into a world that is so desperately in need of it. So we wanted to get our house in order first, if you will. And it starts with me, it starts with you, and you, and you, and you, and every one of us in here, right? And you may be tempted to look at those statistics and and some of the things that have gone on in the church, and you hear all the bad things, oh, divorce rate is bad, pornography is bad in the church. You may say, well, that's other people. That's not me. I haven't drowned any Baptists lately. Well, the reality is we've all got our sin, The reality is I've got sin, you've got sin. We all fall short of God's command to be holy. So how can we do that? How can we we defeat sin in everyday life? How can we be excited about being holy? And how does God's grace factor into all of this? Before we get going, let's just take a moment and pray and ask God to guide us. Lord, we are grateful to be here. We're grateful to gather. We are thankful for your word. We ask now that you would open our hearts, open our minds. You would speak to us. Lord, not so we are, are just smarter on the subject or we know more, Lord, but that we're different, that we're changed, that we would leave here holier with appreciation for why holiness matters and how grace factors in to all of this. So God, we just pray that you guide our time together, and most of all, that you are honored by it. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Okay, if you have your Bible, take it out, open it to Titus, chapter 2. We're going to go through verses 11 and f- through 14. Titus is a little near, uh, it's towards the end of the, the Bible, around the Timothy, before the, the John books. The P- so it's right there towards the end. It's a letter that was written to the church at Crete in the Mediterranean. The the elder pastor there was named Titus. So Paul writes in this letter to talk about how to live the Christian life. And let's pick it up in verse 11, Titus chapter 2. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify himself for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Now, I know there's a lot of stuff in there. Uh, One of my assembly professors would, would refer to passages like this and say, this passage is with child. Right? It is pregnant, full of rich meaning, waiting to come out in this deep theological truth. So we're not going to be able to unpack everything, everything in there. But I want to talk about one idea that we see. This one idea of how grace can make us holy. And so the first thing we see from this passage is, is that God's grace redeems us from our sin. God's grace redeems us from our sin. We see it in verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to For all people, skip to verse 14. His sacrifice redeems us from all lawlessness. And so, when we talk about how God uh, saves us from our sin, we need to talk about His redemption. We need to start here. And so, this is going to be like Christianity 101 for a few minutes here. You see, before we came to Christ, we had a sin problem, okay? And it was our biggest problem. And and this problem so permeated our inner being that if if sin were blue we would be smurfs, okay? It was that bad, it was everywhere, it was in our de- deepest core. And the Bible says that in fact, not only do we just sin, but, but we were enemies of God. We were enemies of God, and so we were facing, for that reason we were facing judgment, we were facing punishment. We were, we were staring eternity in hell right in the face, separated from God for all of eternity. We were like convicted inmates on death row. Guilty on all charges awaiting our execution. Completely unable to free ourselves. We were trapped by our sin. We were in bondage to it. And there was only one solution to that problem. Only one. God had to save us. We needed God to save us because we couldn't save ourselves. So the grace of God appeared... As Paul writes, in the person, and the work of Jesus Christ, bringing salvation to anyone who believes. And he freed us of our sin. So when Jesus gave his life on the cross for our sins, he pardoned us. Okay? And he didn't just say, oh, hey, okay, go run along now. It's okay. You didn't do anything. He didn't phone it in and say, hey, release Steve Erickson. He's innocent. No, he took my place on the cross. He took the punishment that I was supposed to pay right? Jesus bought my freedom from sin with his life. This is what the Bible talks about redemption. He bought it with a price, his life. He paid the death, he paid the price that I was supposed to pay, and that is death. So when we trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, some things happen here, okay? First of all, our sin problem is solved. He's taken care of that. We move from, from Scripture says, from death to life. From, from darkness to the kingdom of God, right? Our sin is forgiven, past, present, and future. All of that forgiven. He's moved it as far as the east is from the west. God remembers it no more. These are the promises of Scripture. We are declared from the moment we believe, we are declared to be right with God, and we no longer stand as condemned men and women on death row. This is the beauty of the gospel that Jesus Christ redeemed us from our sin. And so when you think about this last week, when you lost your temper with your spouse last night, like I did, Jesus paid for that sin. That sin has been paid for by Christ. When you gossiped, about your boss, when you lusted over that woman at work, that sin has been paid for by Christ. When you fudged a little bit on your taxes last year, made a little unethical decision, that sin has been paid for by Christ. When you surf on that provocative website, that sin has been paid for by Christ. And I I don't know about you, but that is so freeing to me. Like, I just say, praise God that my sins are covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. But, you know, there's something about us as people. There's something in our human nature, our sin nature. We're really good at finding the loopholes. Right? We're really good at finding the easy way out. And so there's a temptation to think, when we, when we just begin to relish that grace, there's a temptation to think, wait a minute, if my sin is forgiven the one I did yesterday, the one I did just a few minutes ago, and the one I'm going to do tomorrow, wait a minute, why do I even worry about being holy? I mean, if my sins are covered, why strive for obedience? Why not just live the way I want and allow God's grace to cover me? And so there's a temptation to think that, but grace has a twofold purpose. It not only redeems us, But it brings us to the second point, the second purpose, that God's grace purifies us in this life. It purifies us so that we can be used by him. You see, salvation doesn't stop with redemption. Okay, it's not just about getting into heaven. A lot of people think, you know, just the big deal about Christianity, you just got to get into heaven. Are you in? Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm in. Oh, yeah, I'm in too. Yeah, You think he's in? I don't know. Let's get him in. You know, it, just, it, just, it becomes about just getting into heaven. And, and that's a great thing. I mean, who doesn't want to go to heaven? I want to go to heaven. So that's okay to think about that and to get excited about that. But the problem is some Christians stop there. Right? It's, you know, hey, I've been saved from my sins. I'm forgiven. Uh, whew. Mission accomplished. But that's not what God teaches us here. Look at, look at verse 14. Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, number one, to redeem us from all lawlessness... And, and, and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Right? God didn't just save us uh, so, we get, so we can get to heaven. He saved us for a purpose. He, want, he saved us to purify us. God wants a people here on earth set aside for his own purpose so that he can use for his glory. He wants us to be different from the world. Jesus says, go out into the world, right? Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. God, God wants to set apart a people who will go and do that for him. So in order to be a light to the world, in order to be seen by them, we have to be what? Different. We can't look exactly like the world. So God is busy purifying us, right making us more and more righteous so that we stand out from the world and and i want to illustrate this for you here on, on the screen uh what you see here is the world okay i drew you a picture of the world and their sin and their blackness their darkness they're completely lost in despair without god okay stained by sin that's the world now God calls a people, he says, I want a people to go, I'm going to send them into the world. So now God has put Christians in there, in this world, okay? And, but these Christians, unfortunately, don't care much about holiness. So to illustrate this, I put a circle. There's a circle right there in the middle of that screen that says Christians. You're like, Steve, there's nothing there. I don't see anything. I can't notice a circle up there. Exactly. Right? Well, you don't see that circle. Why? because it looks exactly like the world, right? So there actually is a circle there. So what God wants is a people who are pure, who are holy. They're set apart for his use. That's what the word holy means, to be set apart for his use, so that they can be a light to the world. Now we have Christians in the world who actually care about holiness. And look what happens. Oh, hey, look at that. I can see them. And the reality is God wants us in the world so that we can see... Uh, so, that, so, that, so that the world can see a little bit about him through us. Because the reality is we are ambassadors for God. We're going to go into the world. They're going to see us. And what does Jesus say? They're going to worship God the Father. They're going to see your good works. So in order to do that, we need to stand out. We need to contrast a little bit with the world. Now, I don't know if you noticed this, but that circle is not perfectly white. This is actually what my wife and I argued for about 10 minutes last night. That circle is not white. It's gray. It's a fairly dark gray. Give me a click here. It's an optical illusion there, but that circle, it was, was gray. right? We don't have to be perfect to be used by God. We don't have to be perfect to, to stand out in the world. We just have to be different. We have to be at least a little holy so we strive for holy and God purifies us over time so that we can be used by him. What an amazing honor when you think about it, to be used by God for his purposes, that God would entrust important things to us. When I was younger, my parents were building a cabin up in Pinetop, and they put up a shell and just a a frame or someone else came and did that. And so they were responsible for all the uh, drywall, electrical, plumbing, and all that stuff. And so in the summers, we would go up there, me and my siblings, and my dad would have tasks for us to do. Right? And we didn't always like them. They were sometimes some of the grungiest tasks. But he'd he'd have me crawling under the house. He he used me to get into the tight spaces that he couldn't get into. Now, I know what you're saying. There's no way you got into tight spaces, my friend. But I did. At that time, I was able to get in these places and run some electrical wire and do all of that stuff. And you know what? The, The work wasn't always glamorous, it wasn't always fun. But when I was done, I felt a great sense of joy and satisfaction because I was useful to my father. He had a task for me, and, and I had a sense of, of purpose. I, oh, I got something to do? Great. And I went and did it. I felt, it felt good to be used by the Father. How much better, how much greater is it to be useful to the Heavenly Father? How much greater would it be to be able to be used by God for His purposes, to save the world, to be, to be a part of His redemptive plan? What a blessing. And, and my fear is that many Christians are missing out on this blessing. Because their lives look, look so similar to the world, they don't stand out. So when they say, hey, look at me. Come, come, come here about the gospel. Come here about Jesus and how he can change your life. And they say, I, I don't even see. You look just like us. My fear is that people are missing out on God's purposes, and he can't use them the way he would desire. But, you know, you don't just wake up one day decide to be holy and voila, you're holy. It doesn't work that way. Spiritual transformation is, 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 a, is not an overnight process. It's, it's a longer process. It's a little more like, like a crock pot than a microwave, right? It takes time to become what God wants us to be. This is where God's grace comes in. Our, our third principle here is that God's grace trains us to be holy. It not only redeems us and purifies us, but the way it purifies us, it's a training process. God's grace trains us to be holy. Look at verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people. Look at this. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. I like how the NIV translation puts this. It says, grace trains us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. Say no to those things. You don't have to be a Bible scholar to figure out what ungodliness is, right? It's not being like God. Oh, God's this way. You're different. You're ungodly. Okay. Worldly passions. These are things the world gets excited about. These are things that are they're just everywhere in the world. Lust, greed, uh, selfishness, jealousy. All those, all that stuff. That's that's worldly passions. God's grace trains us to say no to those things, but not just say no to those things, also to say yes to other things, right? To say yes to living self-controlled lives, to living just, upright lives, to living godly lives, to living lives that verse 15 says make us zealous for good works. See, God wants a people to be in the world who are just passionate about doing good works. Why? Because it makes us stand out and it brings glory to God. Because people look at that and say, wow, that must be a little bit about what God is like. And we point people to God and and it brings Him glory. So God wants us to be excited about forgiving others, zealous for that, zealous for uh, um, uh, being kind, serving others. Feeding the poor, loving our enemies, honoring our mother and father, all of those things bring glory to God. And so, grace is training us to not only say no to the sin, but say yes to holiness. So, it's time for a little introspection here. You know, when I, um, when I look at my own life, I'll be real honest, it's, it's, just, it's hard to even think that I'm going to be preaching on holiness. I know my life. I know what pops in my head sometimes. I mean, I'm arguing with my wife about something stupid last night, and I may apologize, but inside my heart, there's some bitterness sometimes. I know I have pride, I have jealousy. I see people see people with iPads, and I covet those iPads. I have these things. I'm not content at all times. I'm selfish. I know what's in my what's in my heart, and 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 it bothers me because I don't want to be that way. I want to be used by God. I want to be different from the world. Uh, Maybe you're like that too. Maybe you're a little frustrated by your own sin. Maybe you look at your life and you say, you know what, I probably say yes to sin and no to godliness a little bit too often. You're discouraged. You don't seem to have much success in being holy. So how do we have victory over our sin? We train for it. It's a fact. Training is important if you want to get better at something. right? If you want to have mastery or something, if you want to improve, training is important. And so uh, we put together a short little video here from, from uh, about a guy who knows a, a thing or two about the importance of training. So turn your attention to the screen here. Well, good morning. We're here at the Tell Ice Den and I'm here with Uh, NHL All-Star, Captain of Phoenix Coyote, Shane Doan, and our worship leader, Lucas Cooper. And uh, we're gonna illustrate a few things about training for you. So uh, I'm gonna go show our skills on the ice here in just a few seconds. some skills. Shane told me there was something about the puck being warm or cold. That's probably why I couldn't do all those things. Uh, well, the reality is it took me about 10 minutes just to lace up my skates and Shane, I wanted to do all those things you were doing. I saw you. I mean, this guy is sick. He's calling the shots like, hey, I'm going to hit your coyote. I'm going to hit it in the glove. And I wanted to do those things, but I was unable. So, Shane, you to be honest, what's the difference here between you and me? Well,
1: I think I've probably done it a few more times than you and I've maybe trained a little bit more than you. In, in this one area, in this area of hockey, I've trained a little bit more than you, I think.
0: I would, I would guess so. Tell me a little bit about that training. I mean, how, how much have you trained? Oh, I, you know, you start as a... I started as a
1: young boy. I started... You know, you learn to skate, you learn to shoot the puck, you, you kind of grow from there. And as you, uh, the more you the more you do it, the better you become at it. And, and it's something that becomes almost like second nature. It becomes the way that you, it's just the way you play it. Uh, everybody's unique in the way that they train, but for me personally, uh, the more I'm on the ice, the more that I, I'm
0: competing, the better off I am. So there's a measure of consistency over time. You just, you got to keep doing the same things over and over to get good at them.
1: It's, it's funny because, you know, kids will want to join in and start playing and, and they want to step onto the ice and be good immediately. And when you're, when you're young, it takes you a little bit of time to, to grow into that and yeah. learn to, how to skate and learn how to shoot. And the only way you get better at it is by doing it because it's such a... It's such a unique talent, and that you have to practice it. It's yeah. not something that you're just born being able to skate. You have to continue to skate all the time. Yeah.
0: And probably those little kids, they look to you, and they, they jump on the ice, and they do want to be like you. And then maybe there's frustration when they're not like you, and they just realize you realize that they need to practice, and over time they could be there.
1: Oh, for sure. My four-year-old, he just turned five, wants to be like like me, and he wants to be like my nine-year-old because he sees him skating. You know, like I want to do. And he gets on the ice, and he falls, and he cries, and he wants he needs help, and you got to be there to help him. And, and kind of guide them along the
0: way. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks, Shane, for showing us a little bit about training and how important it is. It's vital. Thank you. Well, we uh, appreciate Shane being a good sport and uh, showing us a few things about training. And uh, if you caught a few principles in that video, I want to highlight some things for you. Here's the things about training. You need to have some consistency. Okay? You can't just train once and expect to have mastery over, over that, whatever it is holiness, hockey. You, you have to train over and over and over. It takes time. It takes consistency. You don't step on the ice and lead your team to the Stanley Cup after one practice. It takes time over and over and over again. The same thing is true in our spiritual walks. It takes intentionality, okay? It doesn't happen on accident. We don't become holy on accident. It takes some intentionality. We have to decide, I want to do that. Right? And then over time it becomes second nature to us, but we have to start and decide, you know what, I want to, I want to be holy. We make a decision to do it. And it also takes a little bit of sacrifice. Right? In order to train to do something, it means we're not going to be doing other things. And so sometimes it involves a, a sacrifice in order to be holy. And so a hockey player practices skating and and, and puck control and passing and shooting, fighting, all the things you need to be a good hockey player. And and, and then, what happens is at the moment of testing, right, come game time, they're ready to go. When they throw the puck down, they've practiced these things, and they're able to do what they're supposed to do. And in, in the Christian walk, it's the very same thing. We have a training process that gets us ready to do what we're supposed to do when that moment of testing comes. Like when we have choices to say yes to holiness, no to sin. The time to train is not at that moment. The time to train is not when when you get thrown on the hockey rink for the game. You want to train beforehand. And we prepare ourselves to be ready for that moment. So when we're in the, the buffet line of life, you know, so you're, you get, you got this buffet, and you're, you're choosing, you know, I'll take a fried chicken, I'll take some, one uh, uh, of these peas, and oh, no to the beets, I'll take some chocolate pudding. You're making choices. Yes, no. Yes, no. Life is very similar to that. We make choices. I'm going to, I'm going to obey God, yes, no, I'm going to say no to that. We're saying yes to obedience, no to holiness. So what makes us choose rightly? What makes us obey? How do we train to be able to make the right choices? Well, there are a lot of answers to that question. Uh, Well, uh, the fear of the Lord motivates me to make the right choice. Uh, uh, A desire for rewards in heaven, that makes me make the right choice. So there might be a lot of reasons, but I want to focus on one. And and I really do believe this is, is the most important motivator for us to make godly, holy choices. Jesus said... In John 14, 15, he said, If you love me, you will obey my commandments. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. The secret to being holy is to learn how to love Jesus more. We want to learn how to love him more, because he says it, If you love me, then you will obey my commandments. Sometimes we, we, we think of this, it's more like a, a guilt trip. You know, oh, come on, if you love me, you'd obey my commandments. That's how we read it. I read this as more of a promise. Church, if you love me, what will happen? You will begin to obey my commandments. So rather than focusing on all the commandments, oh, I need to do this, I need to not do this, I need to do this, I feel better training is to focus on how do I love Jesus more? Because if I do that, I will eventually begin to obey God's commands over and over and over. And the more I do this, guess what? the more I do this. The more we love Jesus, the more we will obey him. So our goal becomes learning to love Jesus. And so that's why we pray. That's why we, we read the Bible. That's why we, we sing in worship services. We don't sing here because we love to hear our voices. We sing to, to just to fall in love with Jesus, to hear these songs about him, this truth, and it makes us appreciate him more. That's why we gather in small groups. That's why we serve other people. Let's, let's take reading the Bible, for example, as a, as a discipline of training. You know, listen, I'm a pastor, and I find it hard to read the Bible. I find it hard to condition myself every day to read the Bible. I, I, know, I know it's not easy to get up early and read. I, I love to sleep. To get up an extra half hour and start reading the Bible, that's not easy. Um, it's, it's, it's 9 o'clock at night, 10 o'clock at night, and I'm thinking, you know, I should just go and, and maybe read the Bible a little bit. And then, you know, I see, ooh, Law and Order reruns on TNT. And I, and I watch those, and I make, the, I make a dumb choice. It's not going to profit me in learning to love Jesus more like reading the Bible. So I get that it's hard, but here's what happens. When I am intentional, when I, when I exercise a, a, some self-control and some discipline, I say, you know what, I'm going to do this because I know it will produce in me something good in the long run. So I sit down intentionally, I open the Bible, and I say, God, teach me a little something about you today. Help me to love you just a little bit more today. And then as I, as I open the scriptures and I begin to read about God's grace, about his mercy, his forgiveness of my sins, his love and compassion for not only the church, but for those who are lost. And hurting and oppressed, and I see his his wisdom, I see his power, his majesty. What happens to me when I begin to read that? It moves me. My heart begins to change toward him. I I begin to love him more and more and more, especially when I reflect on God's grace. When you think about the fact that Jesus died for you on the cross, when you really stop and think about that, that that should have been you on that cross, it should have been me, but he took your place, how does that make you feel? I mean, how do you feel inside? Does that move you at all? What would you you say to the one who took your place on death row, who died for your sins? What would you say to him? What would you do in response to that gift of grace, the freedom from sin, the forgiveness of your sins? What would you do? When I was in junior high, I—kind um, of embarrassing—but I was—I was, I was like a kleptomaniac. I would steal all kinds of all kinds of things. Like if it wasn't nailed down, it'd be in my pocket, and I—I um, I, I knew it was wrong. I mean, I grew up in the church. I I heard sermons on, you know, thou shalt not steal. I got that. I knew my parents didn't want me to steal. I I understood that. But the fact of the matter is I just didn't really seem to care. I wasn't really afraid of the consequences of my sin. And so my friends and I would go to stores and we would just load up our pockets with gum and candy and uh, CDs and video games and all kinds of whatever we wanted. We would just, we would steal. And then one day, we were at this grocery store and, wouldn't you know it, I got caught. Red-handed, I had bubblegum in both hands, you know, and I'm caught. And uh, so the guy, you know, security guy brings me to the back and starts reading me the riot act, you know, it's, big, it's real bad, real bad, real bad. And, and so I know he's not going to release me on my own, you know, to go and talk to my parents about this. So, you know, do-do-do-do-do-do, dials up, and phone call, no answer from my parents. Whew. But unfortunately, my parents' best friends get the call, and they have to come pick me up, take me home, and they, my, parents, uh, my friends drop me off, and, and I'm waiting for my parents to come home. They were gone that afternoon. So I'm waiting, and now it hits me. Oh, yeah, yeah, punishment is coming. Now, I rea- now I'm just sitting there thinking, you know, I'm, gonna be, uh, I'm in big trouble here. And my parents weren't the harshest of disciplinarians, uh, but let's just say they were no stranger to the wooden spoon. And, and I was no stranger to uh, extended periods of time in my room uh, away from my friends. Right, I got grounded a lot as a kid. And so I'm just I'm anticipating the worst. I'm waiting for them to come home, and I'm, I'm just thinking to myself, Ooh, this is a bad one. This is an eight-weeker for sure. You know, I, I'm not going to see my friends for, for a long time. And my parents come home, and, and I'm just kind of braced, ready for the hammer to drop. And there's just some brief conversation. My dad says, you know, well, well why'd you do it? You know, Why, how, what do you say? I don't know. I, I'm just dumb. Sorry, Dad. And, you know, and I'm just feeling really bad. And he says, well, you know, if, if you needed the money, just just you could have just asked. And I was like, oh, okay, you know, all right. Well. And I'm just waiting, I'm waiting, uh, waiting for him to pronounce judgment. And he says, okay, you know, we're, we're done here. I was like, wait a minute, we're done here? I didn't say this, I'm thinking this. So I go to my room, just thinking, waiting for him to shout out, and you'll never see the light of day. It never came. No punishment. I would have deserved it. In fact, it would have been gracious for them to discipline me. But I received mercy. I received grace in the form of forgiveness. Of my sins and you know when I when I savored that grace when I really began to think about that you know what happened to me I didn't become the perfect kid but I really wanted to obey particularly in this area and you know I, I never stole anything ever again I didn't I, I, I just I just stopped I wanted to honor them I saw that it, it hurt them and I didn't want to do that, I wanted to, I wanted to please them. I wanted to honor them with my life. And so I thought, you know what, because of, just because of that grace that I experienced, I want to live differently. How much more should we want to obey God when we experience His amazing grace? How much more should that move us to live holy lives? So my challenge to the church, to you, to me, everyone in this room, is to make a decision. Do you understand that holiness matters to God? Do you understand that this is is not just some light thing? This is a big deal. Have you decided to pursue holiness? Have you decided that you, you would like to be used by God for his glory? Have you made this decision to be holy? And if you have, are you training to be holy? Are you training for that moment when you have to make a choice to love God, to obey Him, or to sin? Are you training and getting yourself ready for that? Because the training doesn't happen again at that moment. It happens beforehand. Are you doing that? Are you regularly spending time fellowshipping, communing with God, learning how to love Him more, to know Him, to obey Him more? Have you carved out time in your day to spend time with God? It doesn't happen on accidents. Holiness doesn't happen by osmosis. We need to spend time with him. Are you regularly reflecting on the grace that God has shown you, particularly through what Christ did on the cross for you? Not just once, not twice, but over and over and over. I, I am convinced that if we do that as, as people, as a church, when we, really, when we really reflect on God's grace and we truly embrace grace, we will begin to look different. We will begin to obey. We will be holy. We will be used by God to be a light to our community. We will be the people that God desires us to be, all for his glory. Would you pray with me? Lord, we want victory over sin, and we know that you accomplished that on the cross. We want to be transformed people. We want to be different. We want to be holy. And we know that your grace leads us to this. It not only saves us, God, but we are grateful that you are continually working in us to make us more and more like you. And Lord, we, even as saints, even as, as people who have been saved by you, we sin. And so that's when we can rest on your grace. We never want to abuse it, Lord, but we so appreciate it. We just want to savor that for a moment. God, thank you for dying on the cross so that we wouldn't have to. Thank you for freeing us from the bondage of sin. Thank you that we can have life in you. Lord, we love you, we praise you, we give you all the glory. Amen.